Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everybody, to episode six of Across the Romaverse. As you may have noticed, Bren is not leading this one off. Unfortunately, he's a bit under the weather today, so he was unable to host this episode. So I'm here. This is Steve, and I'm here with Sean. Sean, what do you got for us today, Across the Romaverse? Yeah, I checked out the Twitterverse, the Romaverse, and Casey Totti. As you know, today it's been uh, Claudio Ranieri's birthday. There have been celebrations for... Is 69 years old today across the official club channels and on our site. I saw that Bren wrote an appreciation piece for Ranieri's most recent spell on the Roma bench, and that was written last year. So if you're listening, you can check that out on the Chiesa di Totti Twitter. It's posted today, or go straight to the site and check out the CTT archives for that piece. And then we've got Jonas, who made an appearance today. He wrote about Deportivo La Carunia, the 2003-04 version of the team. Funnily enough, I actually hated that team, but I couldn't explain to you why. I don't know. Do you have any feelings about it, Stephen? I don't have any feelings too much about La Liga. I generally root against Real Madrid and Barcelona in Europe just because they're the big dogs, but I don't follow too closely. I followed Villarreal a bit um, back probably, I guess it's got to be close to a decade ago now when they had uh, Giuseppe Rossi and then they had a couple other Italians like Soriano. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that team. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, well, I don't follow La Liga too closely. Yeah, me neither. But uh, I guess like, that La Carunia team was celebrated by a lot of people, including Giants, because they were the anti-Real and anti-Barcelona of the day. They won the league title back in 2000. And then in, obviously in 2003 and four was the season where they pulled off that miraculous comeback against AC Milan in the Champions League with a 4-0 second-leg victory coming from behind in, on, a, on, a, on a tie on aggregates. It was something like, a, I, I can't tell you how improbable that scoreline was, but they, they couldn't afford to mess it up. They couldn't afford to concede goals, and they pulled it off, 4-0. So you can check that piece out on Kedutosti as well. That was posted today. And, uh, oh yeah, so we'll, I think we'll, we will recap on what's happened on the weekend first before we get to the Europa League action. Um, it wasn't just about the men's team this weekend. It was also the Roma woman showed up to beat San Marino at the death, it has to be said. They were heavy favorites going into the game. And I know some people, including Bren, were disappointed that it wasn't a cricket scoreline by the end of the, the 90 minutes. But Roma got the job done almost 
single-handedly thanks to striker Paloma Lazzaro. And I know that Bren is actually working on a Lazzaro piece um, later on this week. She's got five goals in the first six Roma appearances, and she came up with the winning assist this weekend. She's pretty much done everything everything right that you could do in her first season with Roma. So look on the site. If you're into the Serie A Femenile, look for a Lazzaro piece coming up later this week. And then the Roma Primavera also played this weekend, and we haven't had much time to cover them over the last season or so, but they have maximum points from their league start this, this year. But their the main test, their biggest test, was coming up this past weekend against Atalanta, who are the reigning two-time champs of the Premier, Primavera League. And that was seen as a test of, you know, whether this, this Roma team is really ready to come together and make a push for some, some honours this season. They did. They beat Atalanta Primavera 4-0 at home in Rome. And uh, stars in the day were Lamine Toll with a goal. Nicolas Zalewski showed up with a goal. He's a new number 10 now that Alessio Riccardi's left to go to Pescara on loan. And then they, we saw a double from Ibrima Daboe. I read someone, I read Fat Totti on Twitter say he's a massive fan of Daboe and Zalewski. And so are we. I've been raving about Daboe for at least two seasons now, ever since he first came in, I think, the winter of 2018. And those are the two names we saw rewarded with their good form this season by getting called up to the senior bench uh, the next day, this past Sunday, where Roma faced Benevento. And, and that leads us nicely into our quick recap of this, this past weekend's game against Benevento. Uh, Stephen, what did you make of it? Roma winning 5-2 on a day. Was it a case of Roma being that good or were Benevento just that bad? So, first of all, to score five goals is a welcome sight. You know, we've seen them play teams like Udinese and, and scrape by 1-0. One, one uh, five goals was a nice touch. Um, <clears throat> you know, it didn't start so well when Caprari got that wicked deflection off of, I believe it was Ibanez's his block, um, yeah. left yeah. Mirante in, in no man's land, no fault of Mirante's. The spin was, was crazy on it. You know, and, and when things like that happen, you start to go, uh-oh, here we go again kind of thing. Maybe, you know, Benevento yes. might have our number today. But I especially, Roma, when it's, when, especially when it's an ex-Roma striker doing the damage yes, as well. Yes, an ex-Roma Primavera product too in Caprari. Yeah. Um, but I thought Roma responded pretty well. There was a couple spells where they were a little flat. But once Pedro scored and then Dzeko followed up four minutes later in the 31st and 35th, Roma looked well in their way. It was disappointing to see that goal waved off right before halftime for a marginal offside on uh, Spinazzola, like three or four passes before the goal was actually scored in the build-up play. So that was a little disappointing. But, you know, after giving up the tying goal, Roma responded well again. And I thought their passing was very, very nice. Um, A lot of good build-up on some of those goals. Uh, I I actually put out a tweet. I don't put out too many tweets during the the match like Brenda's from the, the site Twitter, but... One thing I did tweet out was, uh, who says Mirante can't pass the ball? He, uh, <laughs> which goal it was? It might have been the, the second or third goal. It was the second, I think. The yeah. second one. He, put, he played that ball out wide right beautifully yep. to make it. No hesitation. Yeah, yep. zero hesitation. And it set up the whole break. Um, so, you know, it's Benevento. We take it with a grain of salt um, because they are a newly promoted side. But seeing Jekko get on the score sheet a couple times is, is big for us. Um, you know, Carlos Perez, that goal at the end was, was a wonder goal. He did a great job. It was a beautiful goal. Um, yeah. As much as some people don't like him, I saw a lot of good reviews for Cristante all over Twitter. Some people actually gave him credit where it was due this match. I, I thought he did it right. I was going to ask you about that because I, I caught a question on Twitter last time Bren tweeted out asking for questions before the show. I was about two episodes back. 
and we got those questions too late to actually address them. But even as the transfer market was winding up and Roma had just signed Mats Kumbula, they, the question from ASR De Rossi on Twitter, he asked us, uh, what do you make of Cristante's role now that at the time, he wrote in his own words, he won't be playing centre-back? Now, we saw on paper Cristante, we thought before the match, was going to play centre-back. But in the match itself, it turned out to be a little different. So what, what do you make of Cristante's future now that we've seen these last 90 minutes from him? Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, when I saw him listed as a center back, I was a little uh, a bit of a head scratcher considering we had Kumbula healthy. But then, mm-hmm. as you said, as we saw, as soon as the match started, they were really playing a four-man back line. Um, yeah. Cristante was playing more as a, a midfield role. Um, and I guess you would say Pellegrini would have been the, more of the three Cortis and the four-two-three-one almost set up, would, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, he's proven that he can play. Um, you know, he has his games where he just is hard to watch. But uh, if he's not starting every match like he was forced into a couple times in the past when we had injury spells, I think he's a serviceable player for us. Um, you know, he showed at Atalanta he can play. It could be a system thing. But it seems like sitting further back, he was actually pretty effective this week. And maybe it can be a role that he can fill for us because, you know, we're going to have to rotate. I think we have seven matches in the next three weeks or so coming up. So, yeah, and we'll get more into this later. But Roma is going to have to find guys that can step up and and play and you know play well when they play. And he did, I thought, on um, what was it Sunday? Yeah. Is is there anything that you find like really pleasing about his game? Like, is there is there like a signature move that you like from? Because I mean, I I generally get the feeling that the reason why people are so anti Cristante is because he's, he's not actually pleasing to the eye when he plays. He, he looks like he lumbers around the pitch and he makes it look like hard work. So is there, is there something that he brings to the game or that you saw this last game when he was playing deep and, and even switching between deep and attacking midfield? Is there, is there one thing that he can bank on as like his signature move to, to earn his, his place in his side? Yeah, I mean, he did a nice job on that last goal of just starting the play, beating two defenders, you know, and, and getting the ball forward. Um, you know, he's not as flashy as a lot of the other players on the team. I think the thing that with him is he's very nonchalant when he does things. He kind of lumbers, as you said. So he's not the most pleasing to the eye. And I think that's where he gets a lot of flack, too. Maybe he's got the face where he doesn't look like he cares all the time. Yeah. But he seems like he's, he's a team player. He seems like he's there for the, the benefit of the team. So I, I, I personally can't point out one thing that, you know, I like about him. I don't dislike him as much as others do. Is there something from your perspective that you see that he does well? I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say it is not necessarily my feeling, but I think I get that Paolo Fonseca likes him for the aerial dominance he brings. And I think that's even why he has risked playing him at centre-back is because, I mean, we even saw in this last game, he'd made something like two headed clearances in the, in the Roma penalty box when he's actually really playing from midfield the whole match. So, you know, given that we have a known, well, say a known vulnerability to crosses with our team shape, it's you know you want those dominant players in the air who can clear the ball, and he seems to be one of those guys. Yeah, his size is definitely a benefit. We've we've talked about in the past um, on the site just how big Roma was built the past couple of years between players like Jeco yeah. and you know uh, Cristante Smalling when they had Zonzi, they were a tall team. And yeah. he's part of that big, tall midfielder that Vertu's a smaller guy, Pellegrini's a smaller guy, VR. Yeah. So he's kind of our big midfielder. Um, even I, I remember that, that summer we signed Robin Olsen that, that officially tilted their favor um, in, in our favor as the tallest team in Europe. And we actually took over from Copenhagen, who was Olsen's old team. 
Um, so I, I'm not quite sure if Monty had it in mind to sign like the tallest team in Europe at the time, if it was deliberate or so, but that's essentially what we ended up with. And yeah. like you said, Cristante is a, a remnant from that area, but uh, he might have more to him what we've seen this weekend, uh, you know, more than just being a tall guy. We'll see. Um, so, yeah, one thing I noticed after the game and even this week, Monday and Tuesday, is we seem to be one of the few people that are actually talking about the game and the football that happened. You know, there seems to be a, a, a lot more interest around the Rome media and the Italian media online in terms of Fonseca's job. There seems to be an on-running question that just refuses to die. And uh, I wanted to read to you something from Alessandro Ostini this morning on Teleradio Stereo, because it, either you believe this and you believe there's, there's substance to it, or you believe that it's the media to blame for the coach being constantly in question. What Ostini had to say this morning was, if Trigoria are claiming right now that it's unthinkable that Fonseca will go, and who's saying that also wants to destabilize the club, so he's claiming it's the same person, the same source, um, it's that they've changed their song and dance. For me, there's been a move in progress to undermine Fonseca. If what comes out the club is that you hear the players aren't behind him, that he should have switched to three at the back earlier, that rumour about hiring an Italian assistant coach with tactics, Smalling not coming to the club sooner, being Fonseca's fault with the press conferences, Fonseca giving unauthorised interviews, these all seem to me like things to undermine him. And now that they realise they're overdoing it with the message, it's become the journalist's fault for reporting these things. And it's the journalist to blame for wanting to undermine the club. It's too easy to make it out like this. So that's Ostini's mini rant on the radio this morning. I'll, I'll ask you what you think of it in a minute. But what, what I've noticed from the fallout from that is that, yes, we've had comments on the Chiesa forum. And we've had comments on Twitter you know, saying the usual, that it's basically Roma's media up to no good, that they, they don't talk about the team enough and that they, they love to speculate about the coach and they love to speculate about drama off the field. And now you've got the journalists actually coming up on Twitter. I, I can't remember the second journalist I saw today who joined Ostini in this like, mini rant, but the journalists are saying that there's, there's actually a bad apple inside the club that's feeding these messages constantly, indirectly to the, to the press. Uh, what do you make of it? I mean, what, what do you believe? Maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle, but what, what do you make of the, the general state of affairs in general? Is, is, is there just something uninteresting about this Roma team that we have to constantly look to off-the-pitch matters? Yeah, I don't know if it's because this Roma team maybe less is expected of them at, than past years, considering we've missed the Champions League now two years in a row. Maybe the journalists are looking for a story. Uh, maybe Fonseca is the easy target because last year we didn't qualify for the Champions League. But, you know, the team just came off a five-goal victory. You know, they won two matches in a row now. There are signs that they're doing well. They tied Juve the week before. So, you know, they actually haven't lost a match on the pitch yet. They have a loss in the standings because of the, um, you know, forfeited match, so to speak, the 3 nothing result given up to Verona. But they haven't actually lost a match on the pitch yet. So it's a bit disappointing that the media or someone in the locker room or in the front office would turn on Fonseca when – they seem to be showing some progress. Are there still, there's still room for improvement. Sure. There's plenty of room for improvement, but you know, if we're going to destabilize the the manager every year or every other year, you're never going to be able to build anything. One thing we've talked about so many times is that you need to give a guy a few years to really turn into the team. He wants to turn it into whether it's get smalling back and start, get a striker like Mayoral to back up Jacko and get a guy like Pedro on the team. Fonseca is starting to get these pieces in place where he seems to like. I mean, he's turned Spinazzola back into the player he looked like without Alonso recently with the switch in tactics a bit. 
You know, um, Pellegrini started to look a little bit better the past couple matches. It seems like he's growing in confidence a bit, so hopefully he can sustain that. But I, I think overall, you know, Fonseca's done okay. I, I, I don't blame him for a lot of the issues we had last season. Sure, he made plenty of mistakes. I know uh, people are – it's driving people crazy this year with the lack of subs he makes sometimes. <laughs> he finally used all five this match, and that's what yes, I was he did. hoping for. We'll put that on it. He must have been, yeah. Yeah. Have... <laughs> um, but I, when you when you look at a game like Benevento and you see how you've got Cristante and Pellegrini and Veletu in particular doing like sharing the job constantly, and no one really has any specific roles. Do you, do you think that this is a case that the team is lacking our identity, or do you think this is actually uh, by, done by design? As, as in, this is a good sign of Fonseca's second year that it's coming together. It's more fluid. I'm hoping it's the second. I'm hoping it's that being able to interchange and play those different roles in the midfield and not really have a set role is a good thing for us that we can, you know, just rotate players around in game guys can cover for each other and that it's really Fonseca football coming to life. Mm. Uh, Like we, like I said, Spinazzola looks like the type of fullback that Fonseca loves that could just bomb forward and he's been doing a great job of it. Uh, I think he's been one of our best players since the restart in the, in the summer. Um, you know, Jekko is not his ideal striker, but Jekko looked very good in the system this week. He was not only scoring two goals, he was also the holdup play. I mean, um, over here on ESPN, Matteo Benetti was just raving about Jekko's holdup play and how he was involved yep. in Mkhitaryan and Pedro this week. So he doesn't have the foot speed of a player that you might want in that system, but he certainly can distribute. He holds up the ball well. So I think Fonseca's football is coming a bit to life. Um, and I'm hoping it's the latter. What do you think? Well, I had to eat humble pie after that Jekyll performance because I, you know, I said that um, Jekyll's hold-up play isn't a legitimate defense for his, his recent performances. And then he comes out and plays one of the best false nine playmaker roles uh, we've, we've seen in recent times um, and makes things work perfectly with Pedro and Mkhitaryan. So, yeah, I was proven wrong on that. Um, I... I sometimes like, I, I like the fluidity between the front six, but I sometimes do find it looks more like chaos than than deliberate um, team play. I I feel like I I I know that I might come across as like I'm trying to crowbar Diawara back into the lineup here, but it's not just him. You know, I just feel like if there was someone that was more of a um, a role player, like more of a number two guy, which Vertu can be that guy sometimes. You know, he, in fact, this this last game, he looked like he was oddly, you know, set on just staying back and, mm-hmm. and mostly being in defense. Um, I know he made a couple of runs up forward, but it looked like he, he was very tired. So I, I'm not really sure what to make of that. But just having someone like Vertu, but I don't know if you really want Vertu to be that guy who stays back and and just sits back all night. All, all he can do it and he can help out in that way, but. I prefer like I prefer him to be dynamic and all over the pitch. So I'm wondering, you know, who's really going to be that guy to say, okay, I'll let um, everyone else handle the big stuff, and I'll just be the, you know, the the guy that like has their back. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that could be Brian Castrante, given what we just said. But um, he sometimes can get caught out when he's when he's purely focused on defending. So I guess we'll we'll see. You know, for me. Benevento was a good game. It was an enjoyable game. Um, it's Our form is something like nine wins, two draws, and a loss in the last 13 games or competitions. Uh, you know that, that loss being to Sevilla, which was very damaging. But, well, 
what can you do? You can only learn from it. And uh, yeah, I, I think that I, I'm liking the football right now. You know, we, we've only conceded two goals from open play this season so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, we've got we've got a solid base to work from. I just I want to see someone with a little bit more humility in midfield taking a back seat. Not everyone trying to be the, the you know the chef because like too many chefs and it, it just ends up uh, with miscommunication. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's those are my feelings on it. But I also wanted to ask you, um, given given that you just said that there are things to criticize about the team that we saw in the first season and maybe carrying into this year as well. Um, one, one issue that was brought up today on the radio was does this team have legs for longer than 60 minutes a game? Uh, personally, I feel like, and I've said it in my articles where I've written on Chiesa, that we look very weak physically. We look like we're not really up for the fight when it comes to one-on-ones. Um, I don't know if it's a part of Fonseca's training regime, but I, I wanted to ask you, you, know, do you, have you seen a Roma game where you're convinced that we can go full throttle for at least 70 minutes, if not longer? Yeah, so they definitely do turn it off from time to time. And I, I don't know if that's just to save energy. I don't know if that's because mentally they turn off a bit, but I, I think you're right that we don't see them put in those 90-minute performances most of the time. Even this match, they scored five goals, but there was a couple spells for about 15, 20 minutes. I can't remember if it was early in the second half or I think it was early yeah. in the second half where they yeah. kind of Benevento took it to him a bit and yeah. they were fortunate to come out of that at two, two. Um, and then they kind of turned it back on, but yeah, against a Benevento, you might be able to get away with that. But if they do that against Milan, they might find themselves down three, two or four, two on, <laughs> on Monday, if they turn off for that long, depending on the flow of the game. So I think they do have yeah. to find that, that middle ground. No, you can't be pressing for 90 minutes. You can't be running for 90 minutes. Always. But you, you can't turn it off for 15, 20 minutes straight. You got to pick and choose your spots where maybe you could, you know, knock the ball around a little bit and, and catch, your, catch your wind a little bit. But you can't let a team come down your throat for 15, 20 minutes, especially a team that's better than Benevetto. Yeah, I, right. I mean, you just, you just sent nightmares flashing from my head if they do that away to Milan this, this Monday. Um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't personally expect the team, any team to go for 90 minutes a game. You, know, you have to take phases in the game. Like you said, you have to pick your spots. But it's really looked like a struggle for them to, to get past that 45-minute to 70-minute mark of intensity in some games. And I, I just wonder if that isn't something that we can legitimately ask. Why? You know, is, does that begin on the training page? Is there something that Fonseca has to, has to revisit in terms of his actual weekly training? Because, as you know, I'm a big Eusebio Di Francesco fan, but the one thing I couldn't defend about his time at the club was the amount of muscle injuries and, and the so-called mm-hmm. low-intensity training that you know players, players start to indirectly criticise him for after he left the club. Um, that was one of the one of the, the glaring flaws of his his um his time in charge. And I, I wonder if Paolo Fonseca, a similarly similarly young coach with new ideas, isn't actually shooting himself in the foot in that way. But um, yeah, well, we're winning games so far, so it's you know, no one's complaining. I guess we'll have to move on to this Thursday. Two days from now, Rome will be traveling to Bern in Switzerland to face the young boys. And it's an 11-hour road trip. I looked it up on Google. I don't know if they're actually going to take the road or not. But uh, it's actually, strangely enough, it takes longer to get from Rome to Milan than it does to get from Milan to Bern in Switzerland in the northwest side. So they'll be, if they do take the road, they'll be traveling just under 1,000 kilometers. I know that there's some people 
who love to talk about travel distances in the Europa League and how that might affect a team on Thursdays. Uh, this one isn't one of the most demanding trips in the world. It's just across the border. Young boys are the reigning Swiss Super League champions. Uh, that was good enough for them to make the Champions League qualifying rounds this August, but they lost to FC Midland, if I'm saying that correctly, in the Champions League qualifiers. I, I remember Midland well because they actually knocked us out in, at the Primavera level um, at the, the Europa, Europe Youth League, you know, Champions League Youth League, two seasons ago. Uh, that was a pretty heartbreaking defeat to watch live. But um, this time around, the young boys came off worse off against them. So they dropped down to the Europa League qualifiers where they had to beat Tirana to make the group stage. And now they've been drawn against Roma on opening day. Young boys won the league by eight points last year. Um, they sold their right back, Jonathan Lotama, to Nice over the summer and replaced him with their young, nearest rivals, St. Gallen, their right back, Sylvan Hefti. But as far as we can tell, that's the only major change they've made to their team this summer. Their top scorer from last season is still their top scorer from this season. It's Jean-Pierre Sané. He scored 32 goals last season in Switzerland, or, or maybe in all competitions. I couldn't find, figure out if that was the case or not. And their left forward seems like a bit of a creator as well in Gamaleu. Um, their manager is Alessandro Mangiarati, who's 42 years old. He's actually five years younger than Fonseca. And he's only been in charge of young boys since... 2019, where he was promoted from the Young Boys Primavera. He predominantly likes to play 4-3-3, but we've seen on Google, I'm not going to pretend like I watched the Swiss Super League, and I don't know if you do, Stephen, but I doubt it. <laughs> no. uh, we've seen on Google that Young Boys have been playing 4-4-2 this week, or, or last weekend, and even at the beginning of the season, in their, in their early league games, 4-4-2 is the, is the way forward for them, apparently. Uh, their last, their recent form is two wins and a draw, so very similar to Roma. But one market difference between the two clubs is that the young boys' total market value of their squad is 54 million euros, whereas the Roma squad has been put together um, and has a current value of 303 million euros on transfer market. So nearly six times the value of the Swiss club. Steve, what do you make of this upcoming game? Uh, is there disaster on the horizon for Roma you know, facing a team that is six, uh, six times more than them in the market? So in terms of uh, the Europa League this year, I mean, you look at the draw they got, I thought it was a very favorable draw. Um, yeah. Definitely the best of the Italian clubs, definitely an easier draw than Napoli or Milan. Um, you know, young boys won the Swiss League, but like you mentioned, not many people pay attention to the Swiss League. It's not a major European league. Uh, Roma yeah. should still go in favored, even though it's on the road. I think they should be especially without a, a, a real full home crowd to really, you know, intimidate an opponent. Um, if Roma plays their football, I think they could win this match. Um, I, I would think that Roma wins this group if they play, like we expect them to play, you know, against lesser sides, if they play the way they played against a Benevento. Uh, who, played, who else is, it, is in that group? I didn't actually pay much attention to the draw. To so it's uh, CSK Sofia and then uh, yeah. Cluj, our old friends Cluj from uh, okay. way back in the Champions League. So, yeah. you know, Roma's capable of losing to any of these teams. Like we know Roma could lose to anybody in any given day. But yeah. I think on paper, you know, I couldn't – I looked at the young boys lineup before we came on here and I didn't – I couldn't tell you one player before, before this. Me so. neither. Um, I, I, I tried to look them up to, to be able to give you some names to, you know, talk about how you feel about them. But I, I, I don't think we'll be mentioning any key players in this team. Yeah. Either. I mean, compared to last year, when you saw last year's group, you know, they had 
Borussia Mönchengladbach, who's a yeah. fairly good German team. We had uh, Besiktas here, who I hadn't really heard of besides the Under um, transfer, but they, yeah. they had some they had some household names that they had wrangled up from uh, yeah, some, some journeyman veterans. Yeah. yeah. So that we don't really see that in this group. So hopefully, you know, Roma takes it seriously and they they take care of business and win, you know, four five of these matches and just roll into the knockout rounds rather than scraping by like they did last year. And a win on Thursday would be a good start to that. So let's yeah. hope they come out and, you know, put their best foot forward. And Well, speaking of, how, how seriously would you want them to take it? I, I, can Roma afford to treat these games like rotation games? You know, will we see uh, more of the subs we saw on the weekend, like uh, Gonzalo Villas, Carlos Perez? We, we know that Fonseca is uh, famously substitution-averse. But we also know that he likes to generally plan for his squad rotation three or four games in, in, in batches so that you know, if he sees uh, teams coming up that play a certain way, he figures that you know cer- certain players will be ready to go for a run of games. So will we see this? Is this, is this the beginning of a three or four game run for Gonzalo Villa and Carlos Perez? Or, or do they just have only this Thursday to, to prove themselves? Or will they even show up at all? So I, I would hope that in this match he does make some changes considering Milan is coming up on Monday and we just played, you know, Sunday and we have a whole run of games. I think it's seven in the next three weeks. So yeah. yeah, We have Europa League the next three Thursdays. So yeah. I would think VR and Perez and those type of players, maybe Mayoral, maybe not this game for Mayoral because Dzeko's coming off, a, you know, a nice game. Maybe they work mm-hmm. him into one of those later Europa League games. But I would start Carlos Perez at the very minimum for either Mkhitaryan or Pedro just to spell one of them. Because as well as those two have played, I worry about their fitness over the course of a full season if Fonseca's going to run them out there for 70 to 80, sometimes even 90 minutes every match. You know, so yeah. far we've been playing once a week. We could get away with it. But I think who was it that saw who made full time on the week? It was Pedro that played all ninety, right? I think Pedro played all ninety this match. Yeah, the, the one before that was Mkhitaryan. So um, th- this is where not getting El Sharari leaves them a little bit thinner. I think. I mean, okay. I could see them go maybe with VR and Pellegrini, you know, in one of these Europa League matches to spell them, or he might go with one of the veterans and VR, uh, not VR, rather uh, Perez. But mm. I think there has to be some rotation. I don't know when Dior is going to be back from the COVID. Um, quarantine uh, that, I think I guess that's anyone's guess really yeah, yeah. no one could predict that so yeah. I think there'll be some rotation this might be a good game for Bruno Perez or Rick Karsdorp to play a game at right back I have a feeling he's going to want Santone again against Milan just because Milan has played so well and I think he's gonna want a more defensive fullback on the right side for that match so I could see a change at right back yeah and I could be wrong but I think Mancini got right carded the last match against Sevilla right uh, yeah, he's having a, a game. Is it a, is it a game suspension or several I think games? I but... think it's a one game suspension. Um, okay. So we're going to be without him and Smolik. So I would expect Ibanez wow. and Kambula. Um, maybe he does go a four four man back line for this one. Otherwise, we might have to either. Any chance of Dante. any chance of Fazio? It could be Fazio. Um, he did make the Europa League squad, right? I think him and Jesus both made the Europa League squad. Uh, yeah, they did actually. Yeah. So if he goes three man back line, it could very well be Fazio. Um, okay. but it could be anyone's best guess who he starts in some of these positions in this match. Uh, even Paul Lopez, do you think Paul Lopez gets a look in Europa League? I mean, that's a good question. I, you know, I wrote on the weekend that I don't see how you can drop Merlante in this form. You know, he's just doing everything right. Like you said, even on, on the goal that led to 2 1 at the weekend, that's big credit to Merlante for the quick thinking and the execution. So, 
I mean, you know, when, when a keeper's doing this well, and it's not, it's not, it's not a position where you have to rotate because it's not like he's going to be tired. Um, why, you know, I, I just don't see any reason to drop Marante. You know, if he's if he's playing this well, just let him ride out the hot hand. You know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's played well beyond expectation. You know, um, you know, my buddy who's a Lazio fan, he texted me over the weekend like, "Oh, Mirante's forty three, starting for Roma." I said, "You know, <laughs> thirty seven, but you know, he's yeah. just a veteran, solid keeper. He doesn't make silly mistakes. You know." Yeah, he's he's only two years older than me, so I have to be a bit sensitive <laughs> to those comments as well. I see I see the eighty three uh, on the back of his jersey, and I'm like, I'm rooting for Morante because he can prove it. <laughs> but um, you know, he he doesn't make those silly mistakes, and he makes the saves he's supposed to make. You know, the couple yeah. goals he's given up this year, one was a a great Ronaldo header, yeah. uh, and the two this he weekend could have done could have done better on that one. To could have done better. Yeah. Um, you know, the Caprari one, it took such a, a crazy spin. I don't think yeah. many keepers would have no. stopped that. Nothing you can do that out. The penalty, maybe he could parry it wider, but you saved a penalty, you know, and yeah. the guy jumped on his own rebound. So he hasn't really given up anything egregious, you know, whereas Paulo Lopez, toward the end of last year, we were, you know, nervous every time somebody put a shot on goal. So yes. I think I think you got to stick with Minate, like you said. I think it's got to be him. Um, you know, left back, I'd be curious to see how many times they could run Spinazzola out match after match, considering the way he bombs forward. But I know yeah. Calafiori was also diagnosed with coronavirus, so. Yeah, Calafiori hasn't been able to train, so we might be forced to play Spinazzola. But I've got to say, I mean, even though we are saying that Spinazzola has been one of our best players recently, and I agree with you, um, he's one of the guys that I do question whether he has, um, you know, like, like we brought up earlier about the team, whether he has, like, more than 60 minutes in him. Um, yeah. He, he, I don't know if, it, if he's been if he's been told in games to slow down sometimes, but it seems like he comes out for second half much less intense than he does in first half and saves it for like, maybe has like a 10 minute spell in the second half, like late in the game where he'll, he'll switch it up on again. But yeah, um, I, I, I question whether he can really handle this kind of schedule. Well, I guess we'll have to see because we have no choice at this week. Yeah. He's got an injury history for sure, which is a bit worrying. Um, you know, since, that inter move broke down. He's been pretty, you know, healthy for us. So knock on wood, he stays healthy and he can continue to play the way he's played. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I guess the other option at left back with Calafiori, we've seen Bruno Perez play a little bit on the left uh, over the summer. Yeah. I think or but if, you, not if, ideal. You really, if you really want to throw a Hail Mary, throw, throw Juan Jesus out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be the other. Uh, <laughs> maybe save him for CSK Sophia, the, the, <laughs> the lesser teams in the group. Is there is there any chance that given that you feel that we're a bit light at um at wing and and Fonseca agrees with you because he's he's brought it up publicly uh, with the failed Ashwari move, um, is there any chance that Mayora Mayora could play either out wide or come on and uh, Roma move to front two to give other people some rest? It could be an option. I don't know if he goes to it this first Europa League match, but I think it definitely could be an option considering he's played a little wing in his career. If mm. uh, Fonseca does go with uh, his four-two-three-one in one of these uh, Europa League matches, it could be an option to s- slide him out wide uh, and Perez on the other wing, and you know play Pellegrini between them maybe and rest those veterans behind Jeco. Uh, maybe you could do that against a lesser club, and then if you know you're in trouble, uh, I believe the Europa League's still running the five subs. If they're still running the five subs, it gives you plenty of options off the bench to cover for what could have been maybe a mistake early in the yep. match. You know. When you have three I, I, subs, you can't really cover as quickly for playing a guy out of position. But with five, you can bring in Mkhitaryan and Pedro and someone else if need be and still have some yeah. extra subs. 
And and like you said earlier about the group, it seems like there's plenty of room for error in this group. So you, know, yeah. you trip up against the young boys and you need to go back to the drawing board. You know, there's, there's still plenty of margin for error against Sofia and and uh, I forgot who the other team was. Cluj. So yeah. Um, I guess we'll have to see in two days' time the moment of truth. I I um I I wonder have you have you looked at all like further ahead into the into the knockout stages and have you you know, do you do you have any any teams in mind that you think Roma would want to meet? Or, or is it too soon to be talking about that? I guess it's a little soon just because we don't know how these groups are going to shake out. I mean, looking at the groups, the teams you'd want to avoid right away are some of those teams that would drop down from the Champions League because you yeah. always get a big team or two that drops down. Yeah. That's, um, one of, that's one of the things I hate about the Europa League the most yeah. is that yeah, it's, not, it's not set in stone. You, it, it's like the competition changes halfway through the year into yeah. a completely different animal. Considering the groups I'm looking at here, I mean, Arsenal... Uh, is one team you'd want to avoid in a possible, you know, early knockout round fixture, maybe Leicester City. You yeah. can't you can't play Napoli or Milan right away because you're in the same league as them. So in terms of, like, quality teams in the Europa League, there's, you know, Leverkusen could be tough. A couple of those teams, Lille. But I think the biggest threat would be Arsenal and then okay. Leicester and whoever drops down from the Champions League. So if you win your own group, you would think you avoid most of those teams, which is why yeah. winning the group would be important too. give yourself a little bit of an easier matchup in the round of 32 and then going forward then you could you know see how it shakes out yeah okay well it looks like we're, we're hoping for a start straight out the blocks on this current thursday against the young boys away in switzerland uh i guess that wraps it up for this episode all we have left is to ask for steve and i's predictions steve do you do you have a, a final score in mind this thursday and, and who's going to get on the score sheet uh, considering we've played fairly well in defense, I'm going to go two nothing. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Jekyll double. He tends to uh, feast on teams like this from lesser leagues. I'm, I'm hoping he comes out motivated and scores another brace. What about you? That, that would put him just short of Amadei's record in the all-time scorers list. He's on 108 right now, and Amadei's right ahead of him in the top three with 111 goals in the Roma all-time goal-scoring history. So, if, uh, if Steve's right, then Jekyll moves up to 110, and then we, you know, any any match day now we could be talking about Jekyll being one of the top three scorers ever in Roma's history. Who would I go for? Um, I don't really have a score in mind. I I, I guess I didn't I didn't actually think about um, Mancini being missing before for this game. So it's going to be interesting to see who Fonseca names in midfield. I think if he can go with someone who's a bit more. Uh, Defensively minded, like we like we just mentioned before, then I'm more, I'm more confident about it. He's gonna he's gonna need a better game from Vertu than we saw at the weekend, yeah. in my opinion. Um, if that if Vertu plays, so I'm I'm a bit up in the air about it. I, I really hope we don't concede, but um, I think with the possibility for rotation being so big, I can't go more than one or two nil. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna join you there. It's gonna be I think it's gonna be a low scoring game, and uh, I think it's gonna be a game where if you're a fan of the of any of the um, the peripheral players like Villar or I don't know whoever you might like off the bench, or you, if you like haven't seen enough of them, Carlos Perez, then this could be the game for you to tune in and see more of those kind of guys. You know, they, they'll get their shot this week. But that's really the draw of the game. I can't see the game being about goals. It's going to be about rotation for me. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think the the rotation will be key. Get ready for Milan. And speaking of Milan on Monday, later in the week, check back with us on uh, Across the Romaverse. I'll have David from Milan Club Philadelphia. He's yeah. uh, done a couple interviews for us in, in type form in the past. So 
now that we have the pod, we're going to get him on, on the air, and we'll talk a little Roma Milan. And um, what else are we looking forward to this week, Sean? Uh, I mean, I'm just happy that the fixture scheduling has actually played out equally between us and Milan because, you know, it's, it seems like every season yeah. they happen to get more rest than us. But finally, we're, we're both playing on Thursday and then we're both playing on Monday. So I'm happy about that. Um, anything else that I can think of away from the pitch? Not really. It's It's been a, a very tame week and a half in terms of off, off, the, off the pitch stuff. So we'll see if journalists manage to stir up more drama. If uh, Fonseca somehow miraculously gets fired between now and Thursday, we'll, we'll let you know. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for us for now. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Be sure to subscribe on all the major uh, podcasting platforms like Apple, Stitcher, and uh, Spotify. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. 